I'm Joe. I'm Evan. And, and we're, we're web, web guys. guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, sorry, I forgot we were recording. Okay. And welcome to the first episode <laughs> of Full the- Frontal. <laughs> we're not Name- calling it that. Name TBD. That's it. <laughs> um, oh lord. Hey Joe. So yes. So so yes. You can. You can. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you can swear. Okay. Uh, fantastic. It's. <laughs> you're I'm, I'm you're glad. about to tell tell a story, and I stopped you because I was like, "Let's save this for the podcast." I always wanted to say, "Let's save it for the podcast." I I like that. Um, first off, I'm glad to be here with you, uh, and I'm glad you said I could swear because there's literally no way for me to not do it. I've tried. <laughs> I've tried and I put I started doing random other words um, <laughs> like hacking and mm-hmm. like fuffer and just dumb words. And then I felt uh-huh. like I was reverting to childhood and I got really embarrassed by myself. But so just to, to like put a point on this, how I, I am embarrassed by it. I know it's a problem. I was in a Jersey Mike sub shop, one of the finest sub shops in the world. It's so good. <laughs> And uh, there was a family like this very nice woman and her two very young children. And I was eating my sub with two of my friends. I had to go see Top Gun. And I was just like, I was just hyped up. I was in, I was in a very good mood. And the um, song, oh my gosh, what is it called? Uh, that song by uh, The Who, like There Is a House in New Orleans. Um, yeah. The, House uh... of the Rising Sun. That's it. Yep. Yeah. So the House of the Rising Sun comes on, and that is like a trigger for me. I love that song. It is. So I just go, this song fucking slaps. Like, <laughs> as loud as I could. First, I don't know why I say slaps, and it, like, because the kids say it, and I, I adopted it as a joke and not say it all the time. But I was like, this song fucking slaps. And if the, if the recording could have physically stopped, it would have, like, the entire place. <laughs> froze and then these two children looked me dead in the eye oh. and i felt really bad about it and the mom gave me the slow turn oh and the like mom frozen upper lip type of like the <laughs> you know and it, and it like solidifies into one shape and <laughs> i felt so bad and i said i, I told her i was I, like i'm sorry i don't actually understand that thing that you're talking about, this upper lip, I'm what I'm picturing is where you like push your lip up and your teeth get all dried out and mm. your lip sticks on top of your teeth. I'm picturing this mom looking at you like no. that. And it's I like this picture. <laughs> that is a funnier picture than what happened. What I'm talking about is the is the universal, like angry, maybe it's not universal, but my mom used to do it. Like her mouth just like froze into us. Just she would talk through. <laughs> Like you're in trouble, and her her it would freeze into a tiny I, I see. area, and it always scared me. Um, yeah, and this mom got me with that look for for a good reason because I swore in front of her like three year old children. Oof. So I got to work on that. That's uh that's TBD. Yeah, to do TBD. It. We're making progress. Yeah. So um, what are you reading lately, Joe? Um, let's see. So I read this article. I think we both read this article about uh about quick. Quick. Yes. With a K. Um, Q. Isn't it with the Q? No. Well, yeah. Q with, without a C, I should say. Quick. Ah, without yes. a C. Quick, yeah. um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking for the article right now because uh, we, also... we do a lot of preparation on this podcast, apparently. <laughs> um, I can't find, the, I can't find the, the specific article, but, um, but uh, yeah, we, we were talking about this new framework 
um, called Quick. And it sounds pretty interesting. Um, I, I remember hearing about it on one of the one of the work Slack channels a couple of months ago and kind of being like, not really paying attention at that time. Um, thank you for sending that to me. There was yeah. a little ding that Oops. didn't come through the didn't come through the podcast. So people don't know that that all of our listeners uh, they don't know that that uh, that you sent this to me. But yeah, so so um, so yeah, I'd started, I heard about this from somebody on one of the channels and kind of just it just kind of went past me because I feel like there have been a lot of these lately. There's like SolidJS and Astro and quick and they're all a little bit different. I mean, they do slightly different things, but a lot of it seems to be about uh, simplifying server-side rendering. Uh, that seems to be the common thread. Like that, at least with quick, uh, is what I gather is like the the main selling point of, of this framework, which is like, which is like render on the server. And then when you send your HTML to the client, you don't really have to rehydrate. You basically don't have to like hide, re rehydrate all the, or hydrate all the JavaScript all at once. It's kind of like hydrating when you need it to hydrate. Yeah. The, um, so the article is called JavaScript hydration is a workaround, not a solution. And it's a super catchy. It's on a, a um, blog slash just like general tech website called the new and at first I didn't actually know this was basically like a long advertisement for a new framework, uh, which I don't begrudge anybody doing that. It was like a well-written article. Um, but at first it was just, it's a catchy title. JavaScript hydration is something that we all deal with and is like a, a critical part of the JavaScript framework ecosystem now that I think it, it's funny to think about um, the life cycle of front end going all the way back, like making websites in 2014, it was static files like FTP'd into a server and WordPress was, you know, creating like PH, PHP templates, right? We just like at includes PH or includes PHP, like the question mark PHP. And then you put your header in there and stuff. And now we're sort of going, we got way away from that to like full client side applications and um, clients like just 100% single page apps. And then now we're kind of going back and realizing that work is good to be done on the server. What, What's interesting about the article was talking about how expensive it is to do, to hydrate um, the first time, especially for mobile applications, that it can take up to 10 seconds was the conjecture on mobile devices because they talked about this thing called the recovery phrase. I, I don't know if you got like deep enough into this um, if you want to like talk a little bit about, I'm not going to put you on the spot and say like, what is recovery? But it's generally speaking when they're saying, when the framework is trying to rebuild the application um, and they're saying, this is the expensive part that quick solves. And that's sort of just something that I need to dig a little bit deeper into. Yeah, I think, uh, I th so I think basically like the the recovery part that, that this guy's talking about is like, when you render something server side, you render HTML and it creates yep. a tree, creates a DOM, uh, and then it's you, the HTML gets sent to the browser. The browser parses that, and now it has uh, a, a DOM representation. Um, then, when you get the, in order to add interactivity to that, you need to uh, send over all the JavaScript, and then the JavaScript. I think this recovery that uh, that he's talking about is reconciling 
the JavaScript DOM, you know, the, 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 the React DOM with what exists in the HTML now. So I think it's like, I, I mean, there's a couple of, there's a couple of pieces to, you know, there are a couple of things that make this whole process of, of sending all the JavaScript over, uh, before you can use any of it expensive. It's like, you have to send it. First of all, you can't, mm -hmm. you, you have to send it separately from the HTML as a separate request. You also have to then parse it. And if it's a lot of JavaScript, this is why react gets in some places like a bad rep because it's uh, a pretty heavy, um, framework. It's like, I don't know, hundred K at this point, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the, the browser has to parse that. Um, and it's, it can't, you, you know, the user can interact with the webs, the page until it's all done parsing. Um, but then I think this recovery phase is then like basically reconciling, uh, the, the DOM that's in JavaScript with the one that's already been rendered. That's the hydration. I mean, that's the hydration part of it. Right. right. And, and assigning all of your handlers and right interactivity, which need to like find the DOM node that they're attaching to and attach. Cause you know, you write a synthetic event and react under the hood. It's still an event listener on a DOM node and, yeah. and all that stuff gets sent down and then has to be kind of stitched back together on the client. Uh, so I think the argument here, what's, what's tough for me with stuff like this is it's a really strong premise and the article's well-written. I find I'm overwhelmed by the, by the idea of how to benchmark this. So, mm -hmm. Because the, the only way that I could see of doing an apples to apples comparison would be to take a large app because this problem doesn't appear if you have a small app. This is like a large application problem that you're sending down, you know, l large amounts of kilobytes of JavaScript in a highly interactive data driven application. Because one yeah. of the big problems is that you're sending app state uh, as well as framework state down with your tree and like all of that has to get figured out. So you'd have to do, you'd have to build that application in say React or like another one of these uh, like traditional frameworks, Vue or something. And then you'd have to build the exact same thing in Quick to be able to tell the difference. And that's yeah, that's that's where I it know. gets weird. So what is the most minimum viable experiment you could run to prove that this is a legitimate problem and that Quick solves it without causing net new problems? Yes. Exactly. And it's the net new problems that, that I always think about because like, I don't think it can ever be apples to apples. I think that's a great point that it's not apples to apples. And I think everybody tries to make it apples to apples. All of these framework people, people building frameworks, they try and make it as, as, as apples to apples as possible. And you can pull certain metrics out of it, like performance metrics, and you can focus on those and say, you know, quick is, you know, ticks, ticks, X milliseconds for, to get to first pain or whatever, and Svelte takes whatever, you know? Um, but it's like you say, there's, there are so many other factors that go into building a large scale app, especially at a company, you know, it's, if you're one person building an app, you can switch frameworks. doesn't matter. You can use whatever you want and, and spend your own time to ramp up. But if you're at a company with 10 developers, that's like one scale of now these people all have to get ramped up on, on quick instead of React. If you're working at a company with a thousand people, that's a completely different scale because now you have to support Quick versus React. Right. Just like, how do you sort of introduce a, a new framework like that? Um, and it's well, kind of too bad because it's like, it feels like kind of an insurmountable, it feels like React has such a strong foothold uh, that's like impossible for these other 
frameworks to take off at that scale. Maybe I'm wrong, but. No, I, I don't think. You, well, okay. Yeah, you're definitely not wrong. But it is, if we think about, so the, we both work right now in the same place. And just for an order of scale, it's, you know, one organization that represents sort of the customer facing side of things has 700 people in it, you know, like hundreds of engineers with a half a million lines of front end code, at least last, last I checked, no way to actually know, but uh, spread across like monolithic deploys and you decouple deploys, all sorts of stuff. So to make a change in framework, it, it would require first off, like getting buy-in that this is the right framework. You could also like, you could never really know if you're going to introduce performance regressions for another reason, because the ecosystem gets so complicated. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have, you have all of these knock-on effects. You have teams that need to rapidly iterate. <clears throat> And you have these framework, the framework right now in React is a known entity with a ton of backing and with a massive company that backs it. And there's like some comfort there, but to make that change, like, do you, do you do like the classic swap in place where you're trying to like over time add new, but then you have that, you have the very long tail of two states where you have a bunch of stuff in React and a bunch of stuff in framework X like quick in this regard. Or do you do yeah. like a full, like, we're just going to build it in parallel and just like hot swap it out and then hope that it works really good um, and doesn't cause right. problems. And like, is that even, it, it's sort of like in order to do something like that, you know, it's going to be a, 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 a non-trivial amount of effort to do, especially something like that, where you build in parallel and then, and then hot swap at some point. Um, and the question is like, is that trade-off worth it? Like, is it worth it to get the benefits of what Quick in this case is bringing to the table? But you use any other framework too, Svelte, like trying to rewrite something in, sure. in any of these things. Um, you, what's the, there? Because there is some non-trivial amount of trade-off that you're making there. Uh, not to mention things like <clears throat> if you're using a component library, that component library has to be rebuilt, rebuilt in, in Quick. Uh, also like right. you, you go, you have a, an issue you're trying to debug and you go search on Google for like, you know, whatever quick, uh, <laughs> I have this problem, uh, and then space quick space bar quick. And you're like, wait, there's no results. And like, you know, basically every problem has, uh, that anybody's had at this point with react, there's a stack overflow post about it, which is not to say that you should go copy and paste stack overflow all the time, but like, it's good to have some sort of something you could look to that says, okay, here's uh, here's a problem that somebody else has had and I can see how they solved it. And then you can go take that into account for how you're going to solve it. Right. When you go to use a new framework, it just doesn't exist yet. That's something that I think doesn't get talked about. And we're definitely in general now talking about framework swapping as opposed to like this article in particular, yeah, which is, which is totally fine. I mean, what I think is important about having a developed ecosystem is that software is meant to be an accelerator, not a decelerator. And I think if you're, if you're, if you're going to switch frameworks because it's the new hotness, you are actively choosing, and this is a hot take, you're actively choosing your, your desire to like be an excited engineer over your business requirements because unless you have a net a known reason like react is causing 
there is an insurmountable 10 second load time on mobile applications. We've proven it. We've got this thing down. We know it is a React framework issue because of client side hydration or something because we're sending 50 kilobytes of JavaScript. If you don't, in the absence of hard facts, what are you choosing a new framework for? Is it, is it to edify your interest in it? Like you, you want to build in something new? In which case, having something like React, which has an ecosystem of known problem solves, is, is just a force multiplier for every single, every single developer that you have. And that's, that's really attractive. Like the, for an organization, and let's be honest, business keeps like pays our salaries. It's not just, we're not just like engineering and vacuums for fun. Uh, it's really tough to pass up a mature ecosystem and a, and a really mature open source uh, culture around it too, which React has. Yep, absolutely. There's, uh, you've, probably, you've probably heard uh, or read this article, um, Choose Boring Technology. Uh, it's this article, yeah. This this Hard for choosing guy, IBM. Is what's the, that? No one ever got fired for choosing no, IBM. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, there's this article uh, called "Choose Boring Technology," and this guy, uh, his name's Dan McKinley. Um, he basically makes this case for I, this. This idea has stuck in my head for uh, ever since I first read this article. But you have like um, I think he calls them novelty tokens. And basically, you have a limited amount of novelty tokens that you can use. Um, and at the time that he wrote this, uh, uh, um, what's it called? MongoDB was like, I think was was pretty new. And so he was like, if you use MongoDB instead of MySQL, either they're two different, you know, relational, non-relational. Sure. But if you yeah. use like a new, um, the hot new DB tech, that's one token. And so then because of that, you should choose the rest of your stack, uh, very boring, well-known, stable things. And I kind of buy into that idea. Um, I think you also have to, you kind of have to make a case for that, at a, especially at a big company. It's easier, I think, at a small company. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just think about that a lot when I see things like this, where it's like, because I like that idea. You know, I think you're right where, where you're like, if you're going to pick a framework like Quick, it's probably in large part to kind of scratch that engineering itch. It's right. like, a fun thing you get to build with the fun thing which i which think is, is important there's importance important yeah. yes it's super Absolutely. important to be excited about what you're doing yes. but the novelty tokens idea is definitely uh, a trap card for me i love that article and i love that concept of novelty tokens it also uh evoked in me like this interesting thought exercise i did one time which is that this is sort of how that that concept of novelty tokens is sort of how front end gets a, a bit of a bad rap, not a bad rap, but is taken less seriously. Because mm. I think if you're doing, if you're doing systems design as a, as a backend engineer and you're building, you know, build me a hotel booking system or whatever, like a common systems design is, you're not picking things based on what you're interested in necessarily. You're picking things based on what is the strongest leverage I can gain with the right technology for the right use case based on hard inputs like daily active users and requests per second and, you know, uptime percentage requirements and stuff like that, where front end is like, well, I have a novelty token. Like I want to use MongoDB. <laughs> so it's, it just, it feels like it can be taken less seriously because a lot of those conversations and it's like a lot of the blogosphere around front end feels like it's predicated on small scale applications. It's like, what is the, what is my next toy app that's going to have that first order of scale, you know, a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand users a day, which is arguably small scale, and can be handled by most like 
just like I'm going to for sale deploy and they'll sideways yeah. scale my static app, right? It, you know, yeah. But front end gets a little. It just feels like it gets wishy washy when we when we talk in that way. It's like, well, I have a novelty token. I want to, and I'm, I'm not saying that's wrong, but it does make me think along those lines of like, damn, maybe we should consider not the novelty token, but what is the like? What's the shape of the data? What's my like read versus write? Yeah. Uh, implications. How do you like? How do you scale this vertically or horizontally? Like, what is the right database? Not what is the easiest to work in or the coolest to use. Yeah. And I think we should probably think more along those lines moving forward because frontend is getting more complicated, and I think requires that level of detail more often. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I I agree. I think that um, to me, when I hear novelty tokens, like. I think there's so much more, or just not novelty in general. We can move away from the like not novelty tokens idea, but um, novelty is kind of for the past uh, at least five, maybe ten years in the front end has been like everything's new all the time, and it's settled down a little bit over the past couple of years. But there were a couple of years there where it was just like I think especially around React because React is a fairly unopinionated framework. It's not. Uh, it's not. Django, it's not Angular, where it's like, uh, where it's like, it gives you everything. It has an opinion on how to do everything. It's got everything built in. React is like, uh, we give you the framework, and then you have to figure out your routing solution and your, you know, whatever. You, you kind of have to put everything else together yourself. Um, and I think there are kind of two, two. It's kind of a divisive thing. I think some people would rather have everything. They don't want to have to make those decisions. Um, but I think it. Uh, allows for a really like um robust ecosystem to grow around it you know i think that uh especially think i think about things like remix js right now and next js uh i don't think we would see the sort of uh competition there and like also like sort of growth in leaps and bounds that we've had over the past couple of years with with in that space without react being unopinionated because oh because yeah, that's a good point yeah. You know, cause, uh, cause if it was, if react just kind of like handled routing for you and handled server side rendering completely, then, then it would just be the react way of doing things. It, you would, you would sort of be, uh, beholden to the, the people building react, uh, when you wanted new features in that space. And the, yeah, man, I love that. So the, the people have honestly spoken on that idea too. react is far and away like the most downloaded it's, it's, it's very widely used. Uh, in like the Stack Overflow uh, survey recently, I think React is at like some huge saturation number, like 80%. Vue is more opinionated than React. There, there are other frameworks who've taken that stance and have said like, we're going to make decisions for you. What's interesting is that gets you easier off the ground and you don't have to make as many choices along the way. However, yep. the what React has done is allowed, develop, is, is like leveraged the developer. It, Developers by nature solve problems. You're very, you just like, oh, I have this issue. I'm going to make something. And then you see this massive proliferation of NPM packages all in React land to solve things like animation, routing. We've got like multiple routers. We have a bunch of different uh, solutions for, I don't know, all sorts of stuff, Data, state management, et cetera, you name it. Like it exists. Yep. And a lot of that innovation, none of it, like not all of it's been perfect, but it's that idea of the adjacent possible. Um, what is the name of that book? Uh, not Outliers, but uh, gosh, it was this book that talked about like 
innovation happens adjacently, that you will have an incremental idea unlocks the next incremental idea. And it's very rare yep. that you have true leaps. Uh, if you, if you like parse them apart, it's usually that there was an idea that like predated that idea that opened the door for it. And I think that's what React is really good at. It is allows a bunch of minds to try a bunch of things, which opens up a bunch of new doors, which in turn allows more people to apply leverage to the problem. And then those things inform the frameworks of the future. Like Next.js made choices based on what was winning in the ecosystem. So it's just like long running A-B test where the engineers are the client and the product producer. And it's just like a really fascinating world that they've built. It because is. Because they made no choices. And, and React continues to make even less choices as they move forward. Now they're like, you handle your own like, you know, like rendering decisions at this point, you know, they're, they're getting even further away from decisions. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but it definitely produces a really strong engaged ecosystem. Uh Oh, you drop, you drop for a minute that we'll have to, we'll edit that part out. There was a, you, you dropped uh, right uh, after, <laughs> right after you said, uh, let's see, what'd you say? You, you said something about like react basically doesn't, um, doesn't, it, they do none of that. Oh yeah, I said something unbelievably brilliant after that point. Oh, um, man, lost, like lost in perpetuity, <laughs> uh, we can never recover because because <laughs> Zencaster's written in React, and if it was written in something else, maybe it wouldn't have dropped it. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um. Um. Yeah. I. So what I what I do wish I think I think what I wish you know thinking about getting back to like Quick and these other um these other kind of newer frameworks that use JSX and look very much like React, which I th that's sort of my impression about um, SolidJS and Astro, which are the other ones that have kind of been on my radar that I've heard about, but I haven't really explored very much. Um, they're kind of React adjacent. Um, I kind of wish that those things didn't have to be a whole separate, uh, a whole separate framework. I wish you, uh, I, and I don't know, maybe you can, maybe, maybe, maybe they do interact with React. I guess what I mean is I, I wish React, you know, if these frameworks are solving the SSR problem in a certain way, I wish that React could solve that problem natively uh, so that you didn't have to make this choice of, well, now we as a company have to switch completely to quick because, uh, because React SSR doesn't, doesn't solve the problem and quick solves this, um, this, you know, uh, server-side performance we think. Uh, problem in a way. What? We think. It's positive. We think. Yeah. yeah, we think. Exactly. <laughs> I always wonder, like, what was what's the largest quick um, app that they've built? You know, because mm -hmm. they're, to go all the way back to the article, um, they're talking about serializing all of the app state and framework state and sending that with the HTML, making a global event handler that relies on event bubbling to intercept all events. So we're not forced to eagerly register all events individually on specific DOM elements, just reading from the article and yep. a factory function that can lazily recover the event handler. And that's the three things they say is what differentiates quick. Now, my, my question is like, if you have massive app state, which we do at where we <laughs> work. And I'm, I'm mm -hmm. assuming other applications of large scale have large app state. What does that serial, like serialization is, is a non-trivial cost. And yep. what does that look like in terms of wire weight? Because if that's all happening at the same time, 
and you can't incrementally add app state, um, which can happen in React right now. Like we can, we can pull things down over time. Is this all happens up front? What what happens if your app is massive? Like, it, does this really is this really a win, or is this a win in the small to medium scale application? And in, in the large scale application, you have diminishing returns. That would be an interesting use case that I, I always want to see from frameworks, but rarely see. Is how does this perform at the scale of ten thousand lines, a million lines? You know, like what's the difference there? And I think we almost never see that out of frameworks. Right. Yeah. Uh, yes. And it's, you always see a to-do app, right? You know, and that's yeah. like, that's wow. the quick example too. <laughs> it's so it's easy. Like, yeah. Right. And it's like the people who are building server-side rendered apps are generally, you know, e-commerce or like not just yeah. e-commerce, but like th- that's, that's a, that's like a, 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 a widely used use of server-side rendering. Um, yeah, for like the old uh, SEO requirements or whatever. And, yeah. and then also like right. speed to like your first, your your general Google speed metrics, like time to first interactive and stuff like that can be positively influenced by server-side rendering. Um, yeah. So, and so uh, like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I also would like to see it on a, on a huge app. And you never want a huge app. You always want to keep your app as small as possible. <laughs> it's not like you want to be working on a million line app. But like sometimes that happens when you get, when you get, more than a handful of developers and people start, you know, not every single line is, is poured over with, a, with you know, in a review, sometimes your code just kind of gets bloated and like you do everything you can to avoid that. But over time, code bases build. And so then uh, what do you, what happens then? You know, I, I am curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what, a, what a large initial app state would, would look like. Um, yeah. And, and knowing, you know, what we, so, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, just what you were talking about, like serializing it, and yeah, and there's got to be some some cost. Um, there's definitely <laughs> cost. Yeah, yeah. My my question is, my when I when I first read this, my my first thought, because it's re- it was really interesting. I don't know if you looked at their um, at their docs at all, but they they show you what an event handler looks like when it's when it's. Uh, you know, when it's serialized and, and sent over. And it's actually just a lazy loaded, um, re- it's just like a reference to a JavaScript uh, chunk. So like when you, but but I think what happens is when you, for example, when you click a button, it's going to lazy load that chunk and then fire the event. So it's like, it's all, it seems to all be built on um, lazy loading things at the event level, like at the granularity of a single event. That's interesting. Um, yeah, it's like a really interesting idea, and but it, what it makes me wonder is like, okay, so it gives you really f- fast um, interact interactivity up front, but is there a cost when you actually go to do the interactions? I I read through the docs a little bit. I didn't see anything about about this, but like when you click a button, do you have to wait for that uh, JavaScript to to, to, to load? Because yeah, because it doesn't sound like it's downloading that javascript up front although i'm sure there you know i'm sure you can do that i'm sure you could eagerly send the javascript over so that it's cached and you can you know when you actually click the button it's it's grabbing the bundle from the cache instead of um, i wonder if you have that kind of granularity or if they split it up in that way i mean they they talk about here i looked at their docs what stood out to me was they make this claim where they have quick applications have like o of one constant scalability uh, but the what they they say that's in reference to, and that's like 
yeah, very obviously very catchy, right? Like, oh my god, oh one constant scalability. They they just solved everything we just talked about. We can shut the episode down. Like it's yeah, scalable yeah. to endless size. However, they talk about if your if your application has one million components, boot time is unaffected. It still doesn't get to me about app state, and and I still yeah. wonder about the cost of serializing app state. Um, you know, a very large app state, which believe it or not happens like you, that can just happen. You end up with like a school bus. Uh, you end up with some window constant. This actually happened in multiple places where I'm at now in previous companies and working as like a freelancer. You almost always in, in like a larger application, you, always, you almost always end up with some school bus window variable that has a bunch of stuff in it. And like, that's, that's like part of app state and is required for server side rendering. Yeah, and this, I, I like that. The school, the school event bus. The school event bus. It's like, oh, we open the doors for one and a bunch of kids come in. Um, so I wonder, like, I gotta, I just gotta look deeper in the idea about um, would you lose speed on the handler itself because it has to pull down the JavaScript and and run whatever's in there. So there's like some, you know, some tie over that JavaScript. I don't know. So it seems like are they optimizing for time to first paint? you know, not time to first interactive because like, I guess right. like your button is clickable, which you'd actually would get a faster speed on that too. Right. You'd have this like, yeah. blazingly fast button that could be clicked immediately. Yeah. But then what the hell happens beyond that point? And, and, um, you know, conveniently there is no real score tied to that. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, that I, that I can think of that's like what happens after button clicked. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it's good. I I, I want to play around with it now, though. I I kind of want to like, yeah. you know, that's yeah, that's how I that's how I uh, understand things a little better. I just kind of want to build a little app and quick, and then you know, I, I wish there was like an easy way to kind of scaffold a really big something that would represent like a really big app. I I don't I can't really think of any anything any easy way to scaffold something that is. At the yes. kind of scale we're talking about, you can. I feel like I was just thinking about that as you as you commented. What there's like two ways that I could think of. You're going to make a toy sized app. You can make a toy sized app that renders a page with like an unbelievable amount of components on it, just like some huge amount. Because uh, like your framework doesn't care about your actual file, like the amount of files in your directories. It's what gets what gets rendered. So you could definitely create some like variable components that get. Just have a ton of them on a page. And that's one way to go. And they say that that is, oh, one constant scalability. And you can just see like, how fast does that go? You could then also create some massive like app state that gets attached, um, you know, to like that gets used, I guess, and, and just make it arbitrarily massive and just see, does that affect performance at all? And I don't really know what metrics you'd be looking for there. But at the very least, like playing around with how to components feel i think it uses jsx under the hood i think like, so yeah i think it's jsx so at least like, it probably can, be like yeah, a pretty easy step over yeah uh, to try it but that's like a fun little that's a fun project just to build something and quick and yeah. see well, how does it feel mm -hmm. that's a good next step that is a good next step action items um. <laughs> build something in quick it looks like react i mean looking at it uh, yeah, it's, it has like a weird uh, dollar sign kind of thing going well, on. Well, that's but, the thing. It's like yeah, yeah, it's like React plus Felt or equals Quick. Um, and I think <laughs> Solid JS is kind of like that too. Solid JS. Uh, I keep talking about Solid JS like I know what it is. I mean, I've like I've heard of it. I haven't really like looked 
too much. You said it. I thought I was like, "Ooh, solid!" Like, isn't that a three D rendering or something? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know what I'm thinking of, but definitely not a new framework. Yeah, Um, Uh, but this does seem like a little svelte. Uh, Yeah, just with the dollar sign. With the dollar, Um, although svelte, maybe we talk about svelte next time because I can, we can, we can go on and on about svelte. Um, I, I have made only toy applications in Svelte and I've found it to be a joy. Uh, it's, yeah, that's the thing. It is. It's a, it's fun to work with. Uh, I, although I will say, um, I think we should say this, I, but I'll, I'll say that, that like I've gone back to go work on them again after I've been away from them for a little while. And I have to really get back into like, wait, how does this whole thing work again? Cause the, like the mental model of it all is, is so different from react that, that mm-hmm. you really have to remember how things work in Svelte. Yeah, I, I didn't play enough with it, obviously, to like try harder use cases with it. But it did feel like the sort of like a, a wore Tommy Bahama shirts and flip flops. Like it felt a little less buttoned up than something yeah. like React. <laughs> uh, but that's like an early that was an early take, and I obviously haven't given it enough effort. So that is a very uninformed take. And again, also uninformed take on Quick. I haven't used it, and none of what Same. I've said. Like none of what I've said over the last whatever thirty-seven minutes and three seconds is <laughs> not like, hey, quick's bad. It reacts the best. Yeah, I want to learn all of it. <clears throat> it's, it's it's fun to have esoteric discussions about these things, and I think that's an important part of the developer process. Uh, is like the why, the what, and the how. How does this work with my teams? How does this work yep. with my organization? How does this work with my my actual use case? And uh, yep. that's important to do. Yeah. We should, uh, that should be, that should be the, the name of this podcast is uninformed viewpoints. <laughs> <laughs> we should call it uninformed decisions. Yeah. Uh, uninformed decisions. Yeah. Um, do we want to, uh, do we want to jump to what the, this, this other idea you had for our, for our, the, the last oh, five yeah. minutes? Well, it's we have like, two, there's just two segment ideas that, that I had. Don't sell me short. I had two. <laughs> one is. I mean, you had the idea for this whole podcast. So like. Let's get that straight. <laughs> that is not true. Um, we have been essentially podcasting for years by having many one-on-ones. Um, we just never recorded them. So two segment ideas. One was the first one is like, give me the the quick and dirty of the what are you like learning right now that you're interested in, um, and then the last one was sailing away on the good news cruise, which is oh right right right, and that's like a hey goodbye. Oh, this is some good news. Uh, yeah, either like either, per- either personal good news or just like good news. Yep. Uh, but the the first segment I- idea is obviously talking about the blog post. Second uh, second segment idea would be, what are you learning right now? And this is like a one minute. I'm learning this. It's cool. Go check it out here. Type of situation. Yeah. So I'm going to put you uh, on the spot, Joe. What are you learning right now? All right. So I'm I'm going first. Are we both doing this or just just me? We should both do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, what am I learning right now? So, um, our, our mutual coworker slash friend, Dan, uh, gave us, uh, or at least, uh, tipped me off to this website called exorcism. So I've been, I've been using exorcism and it's, I, that's a, it's just not a good name that name exorcism. It's like, that's very scary, um, but what I, uh, it's like one of these, you know, kind of like code challenges stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've been using it uh, to ramp up on uh, languages. So I've been using it for like a little bit, get, get into Rust a little bit, get into Go a little bit. And I've been getting into Go. Like I'm actually like really, uh, I really have been enjoying using Go. It's not, it's not front end, but 
Um, but it's really nice. I, I, I got into, oh yeah. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's, uh, just building small things and go, uh, period. What's, what's your favorite thing about go? <clears throat> um, I like, I would say there's maybe two things that I'll say, I'll say two things I like about it. And one thing I don't like about it. Ooh. Okay. So the, yeah. 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 Go. Yeah. So there's two things. Uh, one of the thing is like simplicity. It's so simple. Uh, it, in the same way that it like feels kind of JavaScripty in a lot of ways. It's, uh, it's, um, there's not a lot of, um, uh, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for, but like, you know, doing a little work in like rust or what are some of the other, like Java, um, Python. some of these like strongly typed languages that are oh strongly typed. Nope. Not Python. Yeah. Not Python, but, but, but yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, like uh, Rust, Java, they're kind of, there's a lot of, it feels like there's a lot of ceremony, a lot of boilerplate. Um, mm. And Go is not like that at all. Go is very concise. It's a lot like JavaScript or Python, but it's uh, it's strongly typed. So it's it's um, it's a compiled language. So so when, you know, when you're, when you're working in it, similar to TypeScript, it's checking types as you're working. I mean, you, you have like a language server checking your, checking your types, but like when you compile it, it will tell you at build time, what's wrong with your code. Um, but it's like simple. It's, uh, I don't know. So anyway, I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm putting that very well, but that's one of the things I like about it. It's like nice and concise. Um, another thing I like about it is, uh, is, oh, I forgot, but the other, it was, I was going to say something else that I liked about it. Um, and I forgot the one thing I don't like about it is that it's, um, it's so, uh, it's very imperative. It, it doesn't give you a lot of, um, you basically have to do everything yourself. There's no like map function. There's no filter function. You just do everything with for loops. Uh, and it has a few different conventions for writing for loops. And it's really easy to write for loops in sort of a, uh, you know, you don't have to write the typical like for, uh, constant I equals zero, you know, you don't have to write out that, that whole thing every time, but okay. uh, it gives you kind of a shorthand to, to, to um, loop over things. But um, you do, you have to like set up, you have to in, in, initialize an array or whatever, or slice, they call, you know, there's a difference between an array and a slice, but you have to initialize that beforehand and then mutate it. And there's a lot of mutation, actually, the, like throughout the language, the mutation is kind of a big theme in the language. Um, so that's kind of, different from what I'm used to, which is, uh, kind of based more around immutable immutability. Um, and, and I feel more comfortable in that generally. Um, but I also recognize that that's part of the reason my go is really fast. Hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. That was good. That was a good one. It was not, that was, that was too long. I got to get, I got to get, get, we my... got to tighten it up. We got to tighten up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I did ask you a follow on question, which um, that was on me. Cause I feel like you had it in a minute and I was like, but Joe, what do you like? And, uh, that's definitely, I, I triggered the trap. All right. Your turn. So what, what do you like? Okay. So I'll, I'll do one tech, one non-tech and I'll be really quick. Uh, so the West Ross and Scott Talinsky have that podcast syntax. Obviously I, I really like that one. They talked about the CSS has selector, uh, which is fairly new and not super widely supported but it's like pushing CSS further into like full scripting 
land and I um I was playing around with the has selector just to like what is my use case for the has selector it's it's a pseudo selector um that allows you to check like you know this list element has this other thing in it and you can use you know n amount of selectors within that has to then only ah, hit okay. that and it allows you to grab some like pretty complex use cases in CSS I have yet to really find like this is my silver bullet as to why I'd use this versus you know, if I if I have access to the HTML or or if I have access to the component or whatever it may be, uh, why wouldn't I just like style that thing directly? But you really don't know what you don't know. And on, um, I, I want to spend more time with it and a couple other new pseudo selectors that are coming out. So uh, I'm always excited to see new things in CSS because I know a lot of people hate CSS and talk about it as like a second class citizen. I think it's pretty cool. It's what it's like what mm-hmm. got me into web development was just making things pretty on a website. Um, mm-hmm. So the has selector is very exciting. And us, like container queries is obviously very exciting. So yeah, yeah, uh, that's it. The The non-tech thing was I got this app called Blinkist and it's like takes books and uh, a professional person of some kind, I don't, I don't know what the qualifications are. They boil the book down into its most salient points. And this is what kills me with business books is it feels like a blog post that they added 150 pages to. And like the the actual important information is very typically a lot smaller than is belied by the page count. So Blinkist will take a book and and boil it down. And the most recent one is called is called Silence is the Key. Uh, I think was it was called. Let me let me find it. Hmm. Um, Grabbing it. Um, Stillness is the key by Ryan Holiday, who also wrote the Daily Stoic. Oh yeah, and um, stillness is the key. Was my most recent Blinkist, and it was just talking about in general being better with silence, and um, that's been something that I've been interested in learning more recently. Which is typically I'll fill all of my airtime, quote unquote, in my day with something like a podcast. Obviously, listen to this one. So, (laughs) fuck stillness. Listen to the podcast. But but when you're done with this one, then uh, walk quietly. So. That is, that's been like a little learning exercise is how to just be quiet and listen to nothingness. Ah, that's cool. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes I, uh, I'll, I'll go on walks and I'll go to put on a podcast and I'll be like, you know what? I'm in the mood to just like not listen to a podcast right now. Yeah. Walk my dog and just, it's nice. It's really nice. Uh, I should read that book. Yeah, I feel yeah. refreshed. You seem like you already know, uh, but should, sometimes yeah, you need to reinforce it. Yeah, basically, you already <laughs> nailed it. Just, just don't listen to podcasts when you walk. Uh, <laughs> well, I also have a thing with Ryan Holiday. Because, uh, but I've only read one of his books, and I've probably only read about a third of it, and it bugged me, and I stopped reading it. And is I've this the Daily Stoic, or is this a different book? Uh, it was, uh, I, th- uh, I can't remember if it was a Daily Stoic or not. It was. Um, well, anyway, we don't have to. We don't have to get into, get into my feelings. We can save that for next time. Uh, also, I, I will say I realize that talking about stoicism as a developer is basically talking about like rock climbing as a developer. It's a trope. Uh-huh. Uh, yep. It's like oh, I like AeroPress coffees, rock climbing, stoicism, mechanical keyboards, Vim. Vim. Oh! <laughs> we had to get it in. We, we had, had to get, get it in. I had to get it in because because uh, have I told Vim? you that I use Vim? Vim? Joe, do you use Vim? Oh my God. I'm just a, just a plebeian. Oh no, you dropped uses... out. You dropped out. I dropped out. No, <laughs> I'm back. I mean, I can Uh-oh. hear you. Joe. Well, now, now that Evan's dropped out. Okay. Now that Evan's <laughs> dropped out, I can tell you all about Vim. You bastard. <laughs> okay. On that note, we should yep. sail away on the good news cruise. 
Let's do it. Uh, uh, I'm going to put I, you I on the spot news. first. I've yeah. got some good news. I read an article uh, that they have found a superworm that can eat polycarbons and convert them to energy. So it eats plastic and lived. And not only lived, but gained weight. So that means that there is a chemical process that exists on this planet where you can turn polycarbons into energy. And scientists have found this and have taken the enzyme out of the worm and are now figuring out a way to scale that process up. So there might be a world in the future in which we could actually recycle plastic in a meaningful way. And that's my good news. I'm sailing away. That is good news. Um, I'm going to sail away on that good news too. I'm trying to think of some, some good news that I've heard lately. Um, I was trying to think about it while you were telling me. It could be good, good news, news in your life as well. You know, it could news just be good news life. in general. Whatever, whatever's uh, good. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. Good news is. There's literally <laughs> nothing good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough. You know, it's when you're, when you're trying to think of good news, it's like, the thing, don't think of an elephant or don't think of a polar bear or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, like yeah. all you I'll can think, think of then is, yeah. yeah. So it's like, don't think about bad news. And I'm like, oh man, there's, what is happening? Um, good news is, uh, oh, they put the, they put the, the, the Union Square stop in the green, at, uh, on the green line. They finally built the, the green line extension. And nice. my, I, I went over to, um, I was in friends who live over in Somerville and we could walk to the train and take the train to downtown. And we played with our kids on the Rose Kennedy Greenway downtown. Oh, and we that's good news. Took, it was great. We took the train back and we walked back to their house. And I was like, this is, this is what I've been waiting for, for probably how long have they, they've been talking about putting the green line extension know, in? Like 10 years, a really long yeah. time. That's about so that's my good news. It's finally in. Okay. Uh, I think Evan froze again. So let's see. Back to Vim. So Vim. No, uh, God damn it. When stands you, for VI saying, improved. <laughs> when you say I'm freezing, I don't, I'm not seeing any freezing. So I feel like you're just trying to step on me to talk about Vim. You're like, Evan's totally frozen. Mute him in the background. Uh, this, this will be a long running joke. Okay. We are supposed to sail away on the good news. Joe has yep. good news about. A, a tea stop opening up near his house. <laughs> My good news is about a worm. We've covered a lot of ground here. Goodbye. We're going to sail away. Time to <laughs> sail away. Oh, that could be our outro song. Ooh. <laughs> yes, come sail away. I don't actually know. Yep. We probably can't afford that song. All right, Joe. <laughs> it was good talking to you. Yep. All right, bye. I'll see ya.